This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Football Fan Analytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. We have a pre-season special for you today, including a very exciting guest. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me for the first time in what feels like a very long time actually, uh, it's Mark Carey. Mark, how are you doing? Good, thank you, mate. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little while. I think it's been an intentional little summer break for us, at least from a podcast perspective. But uh, yes, I think it's it's fair to say that it's there was a lot of podcasts going on over the summer, obviously covering the Euros, and we thought it's a it's a space that we didn't want to get involved in too much because we have quite a a niche topic in our podcast. So we thought we'd wait, have a little summer break, and uh, and now we're back to it. And here we are. You've also been a very busy man because I imagine the Euros was absolutely hectic from a football writing point of view. Well, there is that as well. I was maybe trying to be a little bit modest and say that we just lead <laughs> others to it. But also, yeah, for everyone in, involved in football and otherwise, it was, a, it was a busy summer of watching or reporting on the Euros. Uh, what a Euros it was, by the way. Fantastic yeah, tournament. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a busy one. Um, so I think that was rather than just, you know, do a, an episode for episode's sake, I thought we'd... Uh, We'd wait, hold up, and you've been very busy as well, um, so that we can have good content rather than just, you know, throwing out content for the sake of it. So uh, now looking forward to yeah to getting back to it. Well, I'm glad we are to be honest because I've been having fanalytics withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> so uh, now that we're here, we've got lots to talk it's, about. It's the only reason that I talk to you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well obviously and also now obviously the uh, the new season's coming up which is very exciting we are currently in the pre-season period uh which i guess links me into telling the listeners what our episode is about today mark we've got a something that we have done before really it's something of a pre-season special isn't it uh coming up so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what we're talking about today yeah it's a really uh in-depth one this one um we've we've got a guest on uh so we're back straight away with a guest which is very exciting but uh yeah, we're, we're speaking to uh, to Norwich City correspondent for The Athletic, uh, Michael Bailey, and we're covering all things Norwich. Um, and I think that they are 
a really good kind of case study to speak about with regard to our podcast because I, I mentioned it to, to Michael in the chat that we want to, to look at different ways to, to be innovative in football. That's why we're talking about analytics and the growing world of it. And I think that Norwich are a brilliant example of a, of a club who are using different innovations with regard to their recruitment. Um, and, and yeah, the perfect opportunity to, to chat about them. Um, with Michael, there's no better person to, to speak about in terms of reporting on Norwich City than Michael Bailey. So had a fantastic chat with him. Um, he was great with his time. So, so insightful. Really one for the, the football purists, this one. Yeah. Um, really enjoyable. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to everyone to listen to it. Also good to be talking about, obviously, a newly promoted Premier League club as well. We're going to be probably be discussing them a lot uh, over the course of the coming episodes in this season. So uh, a good one to get started with. It's important to say for the listeners, uh, I'm actually not on the chat because I've been away working. So sadly didn't get to be in the middle of an athletic sandwich uh, this week. Uh, But Mark, you took the interview, didn't you? So uh, you had a nice in-depth chat with Michael. And I know that with this chat, you set out to discuss recruitment specifically, didn't you? To get uh, specific and in-depth in that sort of uh, department so is that kind of what we got coming up yeah no exactly that I think yeah just just on the note that it, you weren't involved with the the chat I was really looking forward to making some stupid joke about you being like long lost cousins of <laughs> Bailey on Bailey. Bailey meets Bailey um but no we didn't manage that but uh yeah no it, exactly it was on a, on a specific topic of of recruitment as I say I think that the Norwich are innovative in that regard they've got a fantastic team at the club uh, in terms of their recruitment and their sort of transfer, and I think it's been led quite prominently by um, by Stuart Weber, um, who's come to the club um, three or four years ago now uh, as their sporting director. Um, so all okay. things kind of essentially, and many people will know what a sporting director is, but essentially it's a it's someone who oversees the the footballing side of things, other than the the day to day. Uh, coaching. So you've got Daniel Farker, who's obviously the head coach of the team, but all other things with regard to recruitment and all all things football, um, the sporting director kind of looks after and is like the, style and sort of all that sort of stuff. Well, yeah, and the sort of the model of the club, which we mm. come onto in in the chat with uh, with Michael. But it's that bridge between the you know the team itself and the the board, the, the sort planning of, ahead, the higher powers that be, and exactly having that that plan um you know long term rather than just thinking about literally what's going on on the pitch yeah. at that moment so um yeah it's very much been led by Stuart Webber um in terms of their success in, in recent years and that's something I, I asked Michael about and just on the whole topic of recruitment I think it's a really interesting one so yeah we focused in on a specific topic here um and as Great. I say I'm excited for you know for everyone to hear it Great. Well, uh, well, that's me done for the episode, part-timer. So uh, I think we should uh, get into it and uh, let's have a listen to what you guys are chatting about. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so I am delighted to be joined by Norwich City correspondent for The Athletic, Michael Bailey. Michael, welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast, first of all. How are you, first of all? And have you managed to have a, a bit of a break between the end of last season and... Uh, ahead of the coming season, which the pre-season has already started, I suppose. Have you managed to have a bit of a break? Hello, Mark. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for asking me on. Um, a, a little bit of a break. I think the Euros kind of overtook a little bit as well. And um, uh, long story short, my wife is a primary school teacher, so I have to wait for the school year to break up. So generally, yeah. my, my breaks tend to happen in pre-season, whether I can help it or not, just so that we can all get away together. But uh, so I've, I've got a couple of weeks coming off but I'll squeeze it in before the season starts, which I think is uh, 
is quite important because whether it's the Premier League or the Championship, it's it's generally relentless and it's not much quieter in the summer. It's just a sort of a different busy, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And things are things are changing so fast with with recruitment. It's going to be key to what we're going to be talking about today in terms of incoming and outgoings um, of summer signings. So it's such a, a moving conveyor belt all the time that any time off is uh, sometimes, you know, you, you miss certain things. So uh, I'm sure that even when you have some time off, hopefully you'll be able to relax and there won't be too much changing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I've already kind of touched upon what we, what we want to speak about across this whole sort of episode. And I guess a key part of our podcast is to discuss kind of new and innovative concepts and and things that help to to bring new insights into football and obviously within our podcast we focus largely on data analytics and analysis more generally but i think that norwich are a really interesting case study in that regard in terms of the the innovation side of it because they are such a a well-run club uh, i think that's fair to say all things considered and and they do you know punch above their weight when, when you sort of think about it more broadly and and they have a really good model running through the club. And I kind of want to maybe pick your brains on on what everyone kind of means by the word model. Um, but yeah, one of the key things I want to focus on is this you know, approach to to recruitment more, more broadly. We can come on to the, the new signings, um, which together we have outlined um, through The Athletic, uh, some of the new signings. But, um, you know, I think that I think it's 2017 that, that uh, the sporting director, Stuart Webber, came uh, to the club and I kind of want to just get your thoughts on how much that success in in recent years of course we know that they've been up and down Premier League and the championship how much the success more broadly in the running of the club has been down to to Stuart Webber yeah I think he's been he's been fundamental to it because he is he is the difference from what had gone before really the board hasn't changed a lot um, they are they are custodians that very much trust probably to their own fault and detriment sometimes um, really trust whoever is running the club. And um, so when Stuart came in, I think those fresh eyes and fresh ideas and a fresh model that the board did decide to bring in, which was that director of football-esque role and then, a, and then a head coach, it was something they tried before, but didn't really work. They tried it in sort of the early, very early 2000s with Brian Hamilton above um, Bruce Rioch and um, at that point it probably came with the expected outcome which was that Bruce Rioch um, lost a few games lost his job and Brian Hamilton became manager which is kind of how most English clubs ran a director of football model about 20 years ago um, so this I think um, they were committed to bringing this in and they gave the, the thing Stuart Webber has got here is carte blanche really he 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 mentioned it as soon as he arrived that he was like, I literally can do whatever I want here. I can really shape this club the way I see and believe a football club should be run. And um, so he's been allowed to do that and he's carried it out extremely well. Um, I think so much of what has changed does filter down from, from what he has done, whether that's been enabling people to do it or his own leadership. Um, he has been part of an exec committee. Um, so it's it's very difficult to pin it to pin everything on him but by the same token i think it, so much of it does stem from his um vision and how proactive he is and how much he gets things done and 
I think he does have a set uh, vision of what a club should be like and how it should be run in terms of the value for money and its recruitment and um, progressing people. There are certainly the stories that they like to tell, the strength in visual and history and cultural values, which a lot of a lot of people may sort of hear and go slightly glass-eyed over. But um, I think what you have with Norwich is an example of where those things have come together and actually paid off and, and helped the club ride out really tough moments as well as things that have been very progressive and have helped develop the club when, um, you know, Norwich spent you know, four or seven years in the Premier League and couldn't find any money to do anything to the training ground properly. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a really fascinating time to follow the club. Really interesting in, in terms of what's been achieved and and I guess what they're still trying to do. Yeah, that's super interesting. And there's, there's so many things to kind of, uh, you know, unpick from what you said there. I think it's it's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast that Stuart Webber was on, the, the High Performance podcast, where he said about his previous role at Huddersfield, where they almost lacked that ambition, even though they were progressing, that they he, he wanted to to change the way that, you know, the team ate. And they were saying, well, they, they still get fed. So, you know, what's the problem? And it seems that he is given that autonomy to, to really progress things at, at Norwich, where yeah however much success they want to have he's there to to support it i think that you know the interesting thing you said about the the training ground and that that long term approach is is something i kind of want to pick up on because i think that was another thing that he said in in terms of uh, it being an infinite game football and you can think short term and if you want success you can go and buy within your means the best striker that you possibly can but if you've got to think of the the long term why not invest some of the money into into the training ground into to more of the long-term infrastructure and foundations um have you seen that kind of change for as long as you've been you know reporting with norwich of of that yeah that move more to to the infrastructure more so than necessarily what's there on the pitch as you say things can change in results but the the more of the underlying um consistency behind it yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think people who are sort of outsiders, maybe looking at Norwich, don't don't always fully appreciate how big the club is, and how important it is to the area, and there and also how progressive it is in a lot of ways. So I think that the fact that Stuart found the ambition here that he didn't find at Huddersfield, where there are however many clubs in the same sort of space, and Huddersfield kind of know what they are, and it's a bit like, well, you know, what what more do you want, really? That's very different here. I think it's um, it's understated, and I, I don't think people appreciate it when they're when they're slightly detached, which is also fair enough. I think um, in the past, you know, finances and money and budgets have always been an issue at Norwich, so there's nothing new there. I think there have been at, at times issues where Norwich have sold players to invest in a stand or in a car park or in in something or other. And that's been a criticism, really. Um, back in the 90s, when you know Norwich were were flying, you know they they would cash in on players, and I don't know how well run the club was, but some of the money would go on infrastructure and, and the new training ground, and and that would be a criticism because it came at the expense of the football team. So I think what you've got at the moment is a really clear recruitment model with the playing staff, um, and also let's be honest here it's much easier to talk about an infinite game when you also enjoy a bit of success during that period. You know, <laughs> if you're talking about an infinite game when you've not moved out of the championship for 16 years, it can be quite difficult. <laughs> so I think Norwich, you know, as well as they've managed that, that success has, has bought them goodwill and time too. 
Um, and they, because they've managed what their recruitment is with the playing staff, it, it ensures that they've got a validity to investing in the in the infrastructure as well. I mean, Colney is completely unrecognizable from any point I visited since 97 when they first built the thing. Um, you know, it was a sea of temporary buildings. They've now got a proper academy building, which they should do really for a, for a Cat 1 academy. The pitches are in fantastic state. state. They, they are building the Soccerbot 360, is it? Which is the basically 750 grand's worth of investment in trying to develop better footballers rather than spending 800 grand on a new one, new footballer. Um, I remember going to Sporting Lisbon's training ground after Norwich signed Ricky Van Walswinkle. And um, so that was about 2013 and walking in around the place. I was like, this, this is incredible. And, you know, a lot of incredible footballers have also come out of that academy. But you're just like, well, Norwich is a mile off this, you know. Um, and when you think of the money in the game, how is that right? I think now if, if I rocked up at Colney, it's, and I don't know if the sporting um, training ground has changed much, but it, it, it is much more reminiscent of what I saw there now at Colney. And I think that's, that, is a, that is a lasting legacy of what Norwich have done in, in recent years, most definitely. And I think it's necessary because when you think about it and you think about what Norwich are, it's really important part of what they're trying to do, which is develop their own players, make their own players so that there's less um, emphasis on recruiting the finished article because they they literally can't and to be honest we're still seeing that on them trying to get ready for the premier league next season as well they're still struggling to sign players that improve what they've got because of the financial requirement to do so yeah true and yeah i, I do want to come on to to that in terms of the uh, the gbe laws of everything with brexit influencing how norwich kind of had or still, I suppose, have an edge on others in the the markets that they recruit in and the, the leagues that they recruit in. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you're right in that it's it's easy to to justify that way of working as well when you are doing well um, and success being okay. Yes, they did get relegated a couple of seasons ago. Now, obviously, going back up to the Premier League. But maybe you'd know better than me in terms of parachute payments. They might be in a better financial position at the moment than compared to if they were struggling towards the bottom of the Championship, which they had done in not so long ago i suppose um but I, I mentioned it at the start you touched upon it in terms of that that model um part of the i think stuart weber says sometimes it's part of our model um from, from a few things that i've read um in more general sense as a club but also i guess from that recruitment perspective is it is it easy to define exactly what that that model is i know you kind of touched upon it there and in terms of maybe not buying the finished article, but maybe buying players who have so much potential, they might have some really good resale value. They are quite young. Is it easy to put your finger on exactly what the, the Norwich City model is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you nail it just down to recruitment, by the way, we could have a completely separate um, podcast about parachute payments, but I don't think we should okay. get stuck into that one now. <laughs> um, I think, um, yeah, I think with Norwich, it probably, the, the way to sum up, and it's not going to sound like rocket science and, and probably quite bewildering to everyone. It's like, well, obviously, but I guess Norwich's value, if I was to distill it, would just simply be value. I think it would be, you know, as you say, trying to, it would be taking a risk on some players, a, a cheap risk that it may come off, or if not, you create a way where through loans, they, they can at least give back some value at the end of their contract. Um, they are a player that you can really develop and take on to another level, which obviously we saw with someone like Emi Buendia. But they don't have to be young, you know, potential players. I think it's also, are they 
of a of a good age that you can get a value from them so Mark uh, Mario Vrancic, for example, jo- joins for eight hundred grand. Norwich have him for three years. Then he leaves. They have him for the sort of three best years. He uh, provides a lot of good service in those three years. That's enough. You know, he was slightly older. He fulfilled a really great role when he was here, and um, and that is good value. I think it's just trying to avoid any signing where that value isn't there they do have to be creative with that so I think that's another element that you know not everyone really wanted to sign Emi Buendia regardless of his of his stats and his data there was a there was a bit of baggage there but people saw so Norwich took that risk um, and I think that's that's a degree of creativity that they've had to have in the past um, so I think that's probably the model they try and stick to they 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 know that they have to I mean, alongside that come all their cultural values. And I think they know that player trading is one of their primary pillars of, of revenue. They don't, they don't have one in terms of ownership uh, income. Uh, there's no money that comes from anyone who owns the club. So it's either going to be broadcast revenue, merchandise and, and, you know, match day controlled revenue or, um, or selling players basically. So that's how they, they have to balance their books. So I think that, also plays a part in how they run the academy and they know that not every player they sign is going to make it to Norwich City but they they are desperate to find players that will because it ultimately will save them money in the long run and that's probably part of that value that they they look for and um you know it is different to someone like Brentford who have a a very strong um uh, data model where they're involved in their recruitment they have other clubs that they can use as their network as i think we've seen this week um and 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 probably probably to be honest a, a more slightly more spending power as well you know norwich are, norwich are kind of like an independent store in the middle of a high street trying to do it all on their own and it's i think it has to come with a loyal a loyal base and an understanding of what they're trying to do and that is kind of what underpins what their model is and, and what they're trying to do and it doesn't always work out um and I think there are probably still question marks as to whether it's even a functional reality as a Premier League club, because two years ago, it just, it didn't work. But as you said, they should be in a better position this year. I think we've already seen that already. I think they've already had a better window by all accounts looking at it before they kicked a ball. So um, we'll have to see, but yeah, long-winded answer. That's probably what I'll put it down no, to. That was it. There was a perfect answer. And yeah, again, there's so many sort of things to, to unpick from that and that they, yet simply can't throw throw money at the problem and afford to make a 10 million pound mistake i'm sure that you know if that were to happen they'd still survive but it's a bit easier for the likes of you know manchester united and the the top top teams um to be able to make those mistakes but yeah one thing i i found interesting was just how much they do try to get the edge in, in different places and this isn't to say that other clubs do this as well but one thing that caught my eye was just how meticulous they were um with so ben gibson gave a, a really good example when they were recruiting him from um, burnley and the level of detail that he said that they went into and they said that they put a, a presentation together they left no stone unturned they knew everything about his charity work they knew which surgeon had done his his hernia operation and i guess that is a sort of testament to to the recruitment team and, and norwich as a club to make the player feel very much wanted and to know that we're not just you know signing you just because you're a good player but we do our due diligence and as I say that's not to say that other clubs don't do that but it shows just how impressed the players are in knowing that when Norwich actually look to recruit them they're not just thinking 
you know, you'll do. Of course, that's taking it to one extreme, but they really seriously want this player and it shows in their approach to try and get them. Yeah, definitely. I think um, another example would be someone like um, Jakob Sorensen, who I think Norwich was sort of actively trying to recruit him at a time where a lot of clubs were umming and ahhing over the coronavirus pandemic and what their actual future was like. So they're quite, they are quite bright and on the ball like that. And they do, they do, they do make sure that there is a proper presentation and, and that the details and research that they've gone into um, is significant. And, and there's a number of players who are, who have been impressed by that. And they're obviously players that Norwich won. I mean, it's not, always a deciding factor because there are plenty of times where Norwich have done that and the player has still gone, nah, you know what, I don't mm. want to do it. Or there's a bigger offer and a better club. And um, some of their, you know, some of their targets have been pretty ambitious. And ultimately if you stick a big presentation in front of them with all the details in that, that's great, but it doesn't necessarily usurp the size of the contract or the, the opportunity that they've got in front of him. So I think you have to be realistic with it as well, but um, I think um, it does probably probably does tap into the to the model and the value elements as well because partly what you're doing by that is is showing that you know how they're going to fit in you know that they're the right fit for the club which i think with someone like ben gibson is is so obvious i mean I've, i feel like i underestimated who he was and what he did completely um when i first heard norwich being linked with him um and i'm so hugely impressed by what he is and you know it's credit to norwich that regardless of just looking at a spreadsheet and working out what, what someone will do, they'd gone to the depths and trouble to figure that out for themselves before anyone else knew, including Ben himself. And I think now Ben would be like, Oh yeah, thank you for knowing that this would be a great move for me. So, um, so I think it's, it's, it's definitely that attention to detail that does is I remember Kieran Scott telling me it's kind of smart recruitment in how you do it. It's not necessarily data driven. It's lots of different things that come into it and come together. Um, and I think they've led that they've led that really successfully. Yeah, yeah. I I did want to give a shout out to the uh, to the article that that you wrote on that. So Kieran Scott being Norwich's head of recruitment, um, and we'll put a link in the bio to um, the fantastic piece that you that you wrote all about Kieran Scott on the Athletic. Um, I probably yeah I'm okay to plug the Athletic in terms of <laughs> I've got a invested you know, vested interest myself as well. But um, you work for the Athletic as well, so I can plug I your stuff. Let's declare um, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it's really interesting. Yeah, on the on the recruitment side of it, as you say, with the, yeah, you know, you touched upon the data side of it, they do use data, but as you say, they also use, you know, as many of the tools as they can as possible. They use a lot of video scouting. They use a lot of data where possible. Um, I think, is it Mariella Nizataki, I believe? Um, yeah. Sorry if I've, you know, butchered her surname there, but she's the uh, the lead technical uh, and intelligence scout. And she's been at Norwich, I believe, for for quite some time. Um, there's also Lee Dunn, I believe, who's the head of performance and recruitment analysis. So um, they, they have, a you know, there's multiple people within that team who really come at it from all angles, I suppose. As you say, they, sometimes it takes a bit of the human element to know what sort of person they are. It takes a bit of the data to see, you know, how well they perform against others in their, perhaps in their position. Um, and video obviously to to see them and obviously go and recruit them in in real life and actually scout them in that way providing they are able to you know get on a plane sometimes in the the modern day but um it, again it just shows that that diligence um from from the whole team um and i guess yeah with with that in mind they've they've been recruiting from 
all different sort of corners of the the globe uh, i guess scouting in in all different countries and had it to, to great success you mentioned about emmy buendia obviously recruited from uh, the segunda uh, in spain there was uh temo puki of course was from bronby um that is that key to their model as well i guess i alluded to it before but how much brexit has maybe hampered them a little bit in that that was something of their edge they were able to go to these you know different corners of the globe find these different leagues that had you know sometimes hidden gems and now simply because of the i won't go into the whole gbe laws but the, the brexit being that certain players have to have a certain number of points in order to to move to uh, to the united kingdom now that that might affect would that affect norwich's recruitment a little bit that they are that the edge that they had maybe is a little bit blunted should we say yeah, I think um, I think they're okay at the moment. Being you know preparing for a Premier League season, I think um, you know if relegation comes along, I think they're probably okay too. But I think there are some clear concerns in the long term over what that knocks out because you know Norwich couldn't sign Emi Buendia is 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 the mm. is the point. Um, Norwich couldn't have signed Temu Puki. Um, and again, you think about what those two have de- delivered for Norwich City and the value it does kind of question the whole point of those level of restrictions. Um, I think the EFL is going to look very different over the coming 10 years um, and probably not for the better in terms of the quality of the product. Um, and that is going to be a, a, an issue for Norwich. I mean, I hear a lot of the names that they've been linked with this summer and it, you can still already see that kind of influence to a degree. Um, and I think that would get worse if they did have to spend a prolonged time in the championship just because of the limitation of who you can sign. You know, you you, you really are stuck, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. in terms of bringing in players from an, uh, from a, um, an, an equivalent level um, abroad. So it's, it's, it's really difficult. And it's worth, you know, flagging up Chris Jones, who, who was at Norwich in the recruitment team, and Tom Reeves as well, who's, who's still there. I mean, they're, they're the ones who have kind of found little details that's maybe opened the door to signings that have come off. And I think, again, that's played a big role in that. And, you know, those guys are going to have to work so much harder in a much smaller pool, really. And um, I guess that emphasizes that getting those moves right and making sure that the right people probably becomes even more important, but ultimately just probably have to be less, well, you you can't be as creative. You can't be as, good at the job the pool's going to be smaller so it's it's going to be very hard to really do anything other than what other people are doing and it's, it's going to come down to maybe a decision or someone's personality or a judgment call um and that that's a shame really i i i do wonder if there are people in this country involved in scouting who might just be like well these restrictions are a bit pants what well, i'd rather go and work somewhere where i can have a you know a free-for-all and yeah. you know it, that might that might come up but um i think it does i think at the moment norwich are okay because of the situation they're in um but i think there'll already be some teams in the efl that are that are you know questioning how they are actually going to get around this and um as i said i don't i, I think i think it'll be it will come across as a as a sort of a an issue and a degradation in the quality i suppose of the product further down the english football pyramid all academies will work harder and we'll have a better quality of, of homegrown player resulting from, from that production line. So 
maybe that's the the positive line to pick up on is that there will be more opportunities for players here and if they have you know the required standard then hopefully that won't cause as much of an issue but we'll have to see how it all pans out yeah that's true There's, yeah it, it will be an interesting one to to monitor over the next few years but i think either way as you say providing uh, not that next season is the be all and end all for norwich but they are in a, a strong position to you know they've got a good academy structure they've got you know a good structure in place they recruit well already that it's maybe not so much them that you need to worry about but as you say there's filtering down the football pyramid it it does seem to be more of an issue and you know people are the likes of brighton i know have, have looked more in south america and many clubs looking more in south america so there's other markets that that open up but as you say it just requires maybe people clubs to be a little bit more creative um, however that may be but that's not an issue for, for norwich because they've always already been very creative in their their recruitment and their strategy as we've you know as we've covered um i, I am gonna have to to cover uh emmy buendia i know that we've mentioned him a few times of i guess just simply how much of a, a loss he is going to to be going into to the season of course moving to to aston villa um last season having the the best sort of goal involvement rate of uh, of his career 15 goals 15 assists last season i mean you take that out of the team of course it's going to be a big loss but sort of broadly speaking how much yeah of a loss do you think that he'll be and i guess it's also then a good time to to move into the new signings that uh, that norwich have made and we can cover those um but i think there's still more signings to come i'm i'm reliably informed i've watched your youtube video um after the kingsland <laughs> town um game to to say that Farker has said that you know there's definitely more signings to come um sort of two questions in one there but how much of a loss do you think Emmy will be um and how sort of confident do you feel in the new signings that have been made of course too early to tell but yeah you know it um I mean Emmy was the one player I didn't want to lose if I'm honest because I've felt that he was so intrinsic to what Norwich did going forwards and actually you know, a lot of what Norwich have been trying to do is improve their players. So the step forward he made last year was sizable. And I don't just think it was because he was playing at a lower level. Um, and that was a joy to watch. And I just wanted to see that in an orange shirt in the Premier League next year. So um, he's the one that's almost impossible for them to replace if they lost. And um, I do worry. I think Tamu Puki has thrived with, with Emi Buendia. Norwich haven't really won a lot without him in three years so and also I mean you know you can look at his Premier League season and the amount of chances he created you think well you put that in a good side or a better side a better functioning side and he'd be a success and I guess we'll see that whether that comes off at Villa next year um it's probably not all that though I think it got to the point where Emmy was like look I want to move now so at that point you know, there's no point in keeping him because you're not going to get the player that you want out of there and in the last two years sometimes the conversation has become more about Emi Buendia than the team as a whole and I think that's not always helpful it's dead easy in a team that's winning all the time because you can just go look at this guy but when you're not and someone's doing really well I think that becomes quite difficult to balance um, having seen some of preseason already I feel I can I can see Norwich struggling to create chances, if I'm honest. Now, no one's fit and they're not ready yet, so it's not a fair judgment. And I'll want to see that improve before we get to the start of the season um, because I don't think it's going to be much better for anyone if they're slightly more solid at the back but can't score a goal. Although, to be fair, they couldn't really score a goal in the, in the Premier League two years ago either. And I suppose that's the other element. You know, 
a lot of people do look at Emmy two years ago and said, well, he only scored one goal. And you know, he, although he did create a lot of chances, you know, how much was, was for the betterment of the team when I was really better off when Emmy was playing. I mean, I don't know. I, I, well, it's a really hard question to answer going forward, but uh, I'll be fascinating to watch how he does at Aston Villa first and foremost, because I really like Emmy. I think he's a great, he's a great kid. And um, it'll be fascinating how he deals, um, deals with things there. Cause I think Villa should have a really, really good player on their hands for a fair amount of money. Um, Norwich is, I, I think we, I think we will see Norwich change shape. I think they'll do something yeah. different tactically. I, Although Emmy never played in the 10, and there is a suggestion that's where he might play for Villa, um, I think Norwich might go without a 10 next season um, and maybe play a three at the back more often than not. They've already started like that in, in pre-season. So that requires a slightly different attacking threat. They signed uh, Milot Hrashica from, uh, from Werder Bremen, and he is a he's going to be wearing number 17, so they're not trying to avoid the comparisons, but he's such a different player. Um, he's a player who is looks really exciting and has really clear quality. He's also the sort of player that I don't think Daniel Farker has got the most out of so far. Those quick wingers, a bit more direct, short of Tamu Puki, who does that, but with with what Milot does from slightly deeper. So it's going to be really interesting how he works that because he, there's no point in having someone like that who just keeps coming deep for the ball and then and links up play. He needs to be off the shoulder and, and going into space. So. Um, that will be really interesting how, how Daniel Farker works with him, but there's a lot of quality there. I think once he gets up to speed, it'll be really interesting with him. Um, and the other, the other probably big one in terms of going forward and trying to score goals is uh, Nice occasional captain, uh, Pierre Les Melou. I'm trying to pronounce, practice my pronunciation. Yeah, better than here. I could. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so he, uh, he's only just stepped into preseason. So, uh, and their game against Lincoln was behind closed doors. So we haven't actually seen him yet, but we, we, we will do soon, I'm sure. And, um, there'll be, it'll be interesting how someone like that really good experience, good age. And again, that kind of value element of Norwich's recruitment, what he can do in terms of lifting, lifting the squad up to at least believing that they can compete to premier league level, I think, which is maybe the thing that was missing two years ago. Um, that 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 strikes me as, as a really intriguing one, and I, I like the thinking behind that. Billy Gilmore's got loads to prove. I don't care what anyone says. You know, he's he's clearly got buckets of ability, but he's a young man and he hasn't played a huge amount of Premier League football. So, um, and in a in a team that's lacking Ollie Skip, or at least looking like it will yep. in the Premier League, um, he's a big miss. Uh, it will be interesting how Norwich deal with that, which again might come slightly from playing three at the back. Um, so yeah, I think um, it does feel like there may be another three or four signings off the mark at the moment, and I'm, I mean starting eleven signings. Having covered an Norwich through a lot of transfer windows, I'm slightly skeptical whether they'll make all those um, um, and at what level they'll be. But we will we will see. I think um, there's quite a lot riding on the coming on the coming rest of the window. I have to be honest, but uh, you know, losing Emmy is a blow. We'll see if the others can can step up. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just quickly on Skip, I, I, I don't know whether I'm completely putting you on the spot or if you're not at liberty to say, but is it under the idea that see how his preseason goes back at Tottenham before then reassessing his future? Um, because is there a is the door slightly ajar that if not Norwich, then he could still go out on loan somewhere else? And I'm sure Norwich fans and Norwich themselves would jump at the chance of 
having him back because he did so well last season. He was fantastic. Um, is, is there still a glimmer of hope there? Or has yeah, Billy, so... Billy Gilmore kind of superseded that where bringing him in is is the, the replacement? No, no. I think Norwich would see the two of them together. Um, and from a Norwich point of view, if Oli Skip was put up and available for loan, they would they would grab him. Um, even if it was late in the window mm -hmm. and Daniel Farker loves him. And I think it would actually, for Ollie, I think it would be a great move because I think um, getting that exposure to the Premier League will help him get ready for a bigger challenge at a better club, let's be honest. <laughs> so uh, um, so that's how I, that's how that things are from this end. Uh, it does seem pretty unlikely um, from what I can tell. I think I, I'm pretty sure Ollie wants to give it a go at Spurs. I would imagine Nuno would, it strikes me as a bit of a no-brainer for him to play to play Oli because that's a win for the, him over with the fans and, and probably with with you know with everyone at Tottenham you know, like look at me playing the academy yeah. an academy graduate and, and a very good one it must be said so um, a preseason will come around quickly and also Norwich don't probably want to be doing their business really late ideally um, and they don't want to wait for something that then doesn't happen because that might leave them in a hole so there's a lot of there's a lot of moving factors in that um but i hope ollie gets game time at spurs if he's going to stay because he he deserves that he deserves a chance really to show himself at premier league level and he moved to norwich because he wanted that game time so i imagine he's pretty hungry for that as well so um i think for me it seems quite unlikely that he will end up at norwich now i must admit um which would be a shame but uh i look forward to seeing seeing how he does as well because um i thought he was he looked a terrific talent last year. It's really hard to underplay the impact he had on, on, on a really tricky position for Norwich in recent years. I thought he was stupendous. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, wherever whatever happens next season for him, you hope that he does just get regular game time. You know, wherever that may be, whatever that may be, because especially yeah during these crucial years, his development needs to. He needs to get games and as you say test himself maybe in the premier league so um yeah we shall see as as with everything but final question i guess looking forward to the to the new season is i guess it's again how can you predict what's going to happen it's, it's impossible but i guess the question is do, do you believe that truly believe that norwich are better prepared i think it looks as though they are better prepared for the premier league season to come compared with with two seasons ago and I think the only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Sean Dyche with Burnley getting relegated from the Premier League, staying with them in the Championship and then getting them promoted again. And obviously the success that that they've had, that obviously Daniel Farker is is the same in that regard to to have that consistency where, yeah, for the most part, it's the senior figures of the club have have been there throughout. So it's not trying this for the first time in in a few years. Do you think they are better prepared? It's so hard to to predict what's going to happen, but um, how do you feel the the season might pan out? Of course, the new signings uh, and more signings to come might factor into that. Your answer, but maybe gut feel. How do you feel that it's going to happen uh, next season? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I mean, I have a, a mantra in life: if you do something more than once, you will be better at it. So I, I'm, I'm convinced that the fact that a lot of the guys have, have done it once will mean that yeah. they are better second time around yeah. at it. Whether it goes any better is a different answer, but at least they should be better at it. I think, um, I mean, probably two points to make about two years ago. One, the injuries at centre-back were a disaster zone and um, to the point where, you know, they had two central midfielders playing yeah. there for some games. Um, 
And actually that was still over one of their better periods of the season. Um, they just about rode that out. But I think that was an issue in terms of their preparations. It did actually mean that Daniel Farker probably didn't have the same kind of tactical freedom that he might have wanted, such as playing three at the back. And so mm -hmm. I think you know, he would have wanted to have done that two years ago and didn't really have the chance because he didn't have three centre-backs, so couldn't. Also, I have to be honest, I don't think they were as bad as 21 points um, last season. Absolutely. And I think losing all 10 games at the end after Project Restart and scoring one goal was an abomination. And they weren't for that, they shouldn't have really been that far, that far off it. Um, but that's been a gone, really. Um, and no one's allowed to say it, obviously. Uh, so I think I think the window has already gone better because rather than having the same set group um, and just seeing if they'll you know, adjust with maybe a couple to sort of bot onto the squad and hoping that that fills out some gaps. They are doing a lot of what Burnley have, have done. They've looked at the fact that Burnley were the last team to go up, go down, go up again with the same manager and then survive and stay. So they want that tight squad. They, you know, they only want, you know, probably a really small group of 20 players that are mm -hmm. really involved and they, they know that there's pressure on the conditioning staff to keep as many people fit as possible. Um, pretty much everyone is is fit at the moment um so that kind of needs to carry on through pre-season i think you can already see from pre-season that they are going to do things slightly different tactically and i think if they can mix that up then they may, can maybe bring the good elements of what they had but with something more uh, solid that they had in both the championship last year, but also that a degree of tactical flexibility can bring them as well. And I think just be more astute that you, you can't just rock up with a formation and then maybe make the same tweak every time and, and not really adapt what you're doing. You know, the Premier League is not really about we've lost a game. Let's see if we can win the next one. It's literally like, right, we have to do this for this game, this for that game, that for that game. You know, you, you have to kind of pick and choose your games to a degree yeah. and, and just treat them differently if you beat Manchester city at home, it's not going to keep you up. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's all obvious stuff, but it did feel like it was things that needed to be learned two years ago. So there's all that, but I'll be honest, then in the back of my mind, I've got, you know, Timu Pukki had a difficult euros. He is kind of still their frontline striker, unless they bring someone else in. Adam Eder is a great talent, but hugely untested. And they're going to do it all without Ollie Skip and uh, Emmy Buendia in two crucial roles that kind of got them there. So there is still unknowns in what they've got to play with and, and who they still need to bring in. Um, I think what they do need this year that they probably didn't get two years ago is is three teams in more of a muddle. Uh, I think the bottom <laughs> yes. end of the Premier League two years ago was was kind of pretty sorted. And I think there was a lot of security around this year, I think it's it's harder to say. There are a few uncertainties. There's some manager changes. There's maybe some clubs. And all Norwich really need are three teams who have either got a bit complacent, um, they're not doing their job well enough, or um, they're just um, yeah, they're just not quite reading the situation right. And um, and hopefully Norwich can be in a good enough position to to take them on. Um, but I would probably add they also have the added complication of Brentford where if Brentford season is going better than Norwich's, I think it's hard to underplay just how much pressure that will feel like it is putting on Norwich because the perception is that Norwich should be further along the line than Brentford. And mm. um, we'll already see a lot about how well Brentford do things and they do do things very well, by the way. Yeah. Um, that's a, maybe a more natural benchmark that Norwich are not going to be able to escape next season. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, it'd be the first time that we'll see Brentford in the, in the Premier League. So uh yeah, that's that's hugely interesting. I think 
I, I managed to somehow get a quota in that I'm a Liverpool fan every uh, podcast episode. But I was at. I'm the, leaving. See you later. The, <laughs> but it's, it's relevant because um, I was at the the Norwich game at Anfield, um, the the first game of the the Premier League season, and they they had that. Fi- and I think Liverpool did win for one, one, I believe. And and it felt that that air of you know you see match of the day later that night and you you get the feel of them saying you know they carry on playing like that they'll be fine that sort of phrase and it did feel like that because they did although I think at the time they were maybe three 0 down they did go toe to toe with Liverpool and played some great football and that's that's I guess Norwich in a nutshell that they do they do and will continue to play good football but I think if they continue to um, adapt a little bit more to game to game as you say um, then yeah hopefully that in the coming season they'll um, They'll at least be a little bit higher up, um, and as you say, as long as I guess would Norwich fans maybe take, you know, seventeenth at this stage and build and build and build. Um, I, I I don't know, but either way, um, yeah, certainly from from my perspective, wish them the best of luck uh, for the coming season, um, and wish you the best of luck for for covering them um, in the coming season as well. Hopefully, it'll uh, it'll be a good ride uh, either way, but. Um, yeah, I've taken too much of your time uh, already. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. It's always great to chat. Um, before we go, always just uh, make sure people know where they can find you. So where can they, can people find you, Michael? Well, I mean, if you search Michael Bailey in most social media platforms, you'll you'll see some degree of content. So I'm there. Um, Michael J. Bailey is the Twitter handle. And um I'm sure if you search my name at theathletic.co.uk or .com, then um, I'm the Norwich City writer there and um, you'll see loads of my stuff on there too. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. And yeah, for, for anyone who hasn't already subscribed to The Athletic, I shouldn't plug it again. Um, but honestly, Michael's stuff is, is fantastic and it's a joy to, to collaborate sometimes uh, with you, Michael. So thank you again. Um, very much a pleasure to chat with you. Um, and yeah, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Well, there you go. What a lovely man Michael Bailey was, Mark, by by the sounds of it. Um great chat that. I enjoyed it. Did you? Oh, absolutely enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean there's yeah, there's no question how how nice Michael is. Um very kind with his time and it's always great to to chat to him um at work now that I can say yeah. he's a he's a colleague as well, which is uh, great to say, but um I, and as I mentioned at the start, there's no better person to speak to um, if you want to speak to anyone reporting on Norwich City. So very lucky to have him on the podcast. So, so insightful, really in depth. And as again, as I said at the start, um, really one for the football purists. Um, yeah, yeah. So I hope that everyone enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed chatting to him. Absolutely. That man really knows his Norwich, doesn't he? Which sounds like a really stupid thing to say. But obviously as a correspondent, you'd hope he would. But I, I was just sort of really impressed with how much he clearly immerses himself within the club and the everything that's going on all the time. You must have to really bed in, mustn't you, as a writer? But also, I bet if you sort of picked out a result from like 10 years ago, he'd be able to tell you who scored, what minute it was. You know, it just, it was, it was very, very, very in-depth. I liked it. <laughs> I mean, you'll have to ask him if you want to quiz him on a certain uh, scoreline. Give me his number and I'll to... text him and I'll try and get, I'll try and send him some random facts for uh, for next time and see how many he comes back with. Correct. Okay. Well, yeah, only he will know whether he can do that. So I don't want to uh, set him up for that. But um, yeah, I think it, well, he made a good point within the, the chat that it, it's not any disrespect to Norwich, but it's almost that people perhaps undervalue or underestimate just how big football is mm. in, in Norfolk and in Norwich because it is its own sort of, it's a very, very kind of football city, football area, mm. but it's not like other cities where it's, you know, it's Liverpool and Everton. It's 
Manchester City and Manchester United where it's you know there's there's more than one club it's a yeah. it's a one club area so uh, maybe because people don't necessarily go to the area quite as often they might underestimate just how much it is a very very involved football city um and mm. and as as Michael said yeah that's that's the case for where he is and absolutely knows everything about everything to do with Norwich yeah and a very well run club as well by the sounds of it because you know not every team can go and buy a Jaden Sancho for 73 million whenever they want can they so the fact that they sort of have to really get their recruitment right and be innovative in the way that they approach it is uh yeah it was very interesting to hear sort of how that works and and how they do it so yeah top stuff Thank you. Yeah, no, they're they're on the right track, absolutely. And I think, as I mentioned, it's going to be a little bit more difficult with regard to the Brexit rules of of maybe yeah. not shopping in as as many markets or leagues. But um, the whole point is that their their model of the club and the way that they approach things is with innovation. Uh, and no matter what you know is thrown at them, I'm sure they'll they'll continue to be innovative in that market. So uh, yeah, really interesting one. Hopefully that uh, everyone agrees. I certainly enjoyed it. Hope everyone else did. Absolutely. Well, Mark. I, for one, am very happy to be back. The Football Fanalytics podcast is back. <laughs> and uh, for the listeners now, we're hoping to continue and bring you more episodes in the coming weeks. Uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up, hopefully. I think because it's pre-season, it would be only be right to uh, to do another fantasy football uh, Premier League picks. So I think that Mark, Mark will obviously be picking well-thought-out players. I'll be just sticking random names in my team. You're going to so we'll put Sancho in, aren't you? I know you're going to put Jadon 100%. And I'm gonna, probably going to try and put Varane and anyone else who comes along in the next couple of weeks so whoever's there uh, we, we wanted to do an episode on scanning didn't we Mark which I think will be quite exciting one to look into in the next couple of weeks yeah that was another one which I, I tend to text you at, at midnight and say what about this idea um, so it's definitely one uh, for the list I just think it could be a really good one um, obviously we'll go into more depth in the episode but a really good one to to discuss of the as, not, as much as the science of scanning the art of scanning and making mm. sure that you've got a picture of what the you know the pitch looks like and uh, yeah, yeah. how it can be played to your advantage so yeah look out for that one coming up soon absolutely and we'll be cracking open the fanalytics mail again we're going to look at all the dms and emails that you've all so kindly sent us uh, and we'll be sort of picking out some topics to explore uh, from the listeners as well as well as hopefully bringing you a few guests uh, along the way so yes we're back we're going to be on a roll again and we're looking forward to bringing you some more episodes but in the meantime mark i feel like we should tell people where they can find us because they may well have forgotten. <laughs> they may so, well have forgotten. Right. They may well have forgotten. So, listeners, you can get in touch with us on social media. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram at FanalyticsPod. You can also email us. We are fanalytics.pod at gmail.com. Please do get in touch. Tell us if you enjoyed this episode. Send your ideas our way. We just love hearing from you. We love feedback. We love all the rest of it. So please do get in touch. And in the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.